0: Oh, it's going to, there's going to be a a costume change going away. That's the, you make that an option and that's what's going to happen.
1: I like that. Actually, maybe we should institute that there has to be a costume change at halftime or something like that. I think that's got potential. We should throw that out there on Twitter and see what happens. Mandatory sideline reporter costume change. Okay. That, that is going to be the cold open. Emphasis on cold because it's a stag bowl. (laughs)
0: Football fans, It's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Greg Thomas.
1: It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the weekly podcast about your largest division of college football, where we're down to two teams here in podcast number 298, season 15, episode 21, the podcast for December 13th, uh, 2021. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com.
0: I'm Greg Thomas, I am the Around the Nation columnist, and Pat, I am very excited to have made it, I've advanced all the way to my fourth consecutive Stag Bowl, I can't wait to get there this week and be in Ohio.
1: It is a short week for us, that is for sure, we are definitely prepared for a short week, because we are not only doing this podcast here today, but then we will be doing another podcast on Thursday night going into Friday morning, we'll drop this into your feed Friday, which will be our preview of Stag Bowl 48. We'll talk with uh, players from each side. We'll talk uh, a little bit with the coaches, but we'll have the coaches on our pregame coverage, which will be starting, I don't know, probably 5 p.m. or so, uh, two hours before kickoff of Stag Bowl 48, live from Canton, Ohio. In those two hours, we will do a bunch of things. We will talk to both coaches. We will announce who the Galardi Trophy winner is. We will announce all of the D3Football.com All-America team. And then we'll also, in between, talk with people who are there for the game, there to provide their insight, that sort of thing. Frank Rossi and Greg Thomas will be anchoring that from the mezzanine at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, Ohio. I think I got all of the names of that stadium in there now, uh, in there. but if not, I will practice it multiple times. I'm just saying, we're going to do stuff in this uh, podcast about the semifinals, Greg, and we will talk a little bit about the Stag Bowl, but we'll have a
0: whole separate podcast for that one we will it's stag bowl week multiple podcasts so much content coming your way this week a condensed week it's a quick turnaround not just for us but for the teams that won on saturday and they're going to turn around and go right either right back out to ohio or all the way back up to ohio uh on very short notice
1: yep we'll be talking in this podcast with jeff thorne the uh, north central head coach we'll be talking with pete fredenberg the uh, mary harden baylor head coach these are both people who have done this before, both people who have turned their teams around to go to the Stag Bowl on short notice. Uh, we will talk to them a little bit about that and about the state of their teams and, of course, about their games on Saturday. Games in which North Central defeated Mountain Union by the score of 26-13 and Mary Harden Baylor beat UW-Whitewater 24-7. We're going to Canton, though. Canton, Ohio is a new place for this. You know, Greg, I we had been hearing for probably a decade or so, maybe even longer, about how much Canton and you know somewhere in that eastern Ohio area wanted to host a Stag Bowl, and they're finally getting the opportunity to do it.
0: They are, and I think they're really getting. You know, this is an exciting opportunity for uh, a city and a place in Canton, Ohio, that is sort of located in a center of division three activity. There's a large concentration of division three schools in Ohio. And in that great lakes region, the game I think is accessible to a lot of people in the region. Uh, a lot of people can make a day trip to Canton from a lot of places that have division three schools. So I'm, I'm hopeful for a decent walk-up gate, even though there's not a super local team playing in, in this Stag bowl. I am. I am hopeful that we're going to get a good crowd of neutral observers and people that are there to support the event and support division three football.
1: Yeah, I'm disappointed, obviously, that we didn't get the opportunity to have back to back years in Canton because of the pandemic should have been 2020 and 2021. Instead, it'll be 2021 and 2024, right after it goes to Annapolis, after it goes to Salem, after it goes to Humble, Texas, then we're coming back. Hey, I pronounced that correctly. We were told about that. You don't pronounce the H in Humble, just like you don't pronounce the H in Amherst, I guess. Um, Amherst doesn't come up very much on this podcast. It does on the other one over on the uh, d3hoops.com side. Anyway, yes, we're all about the pronunciations here. Pronunciation 101! Point being is that you don't really get the opportunity for there to be a little momentum, right? You know, they learn from year one and then have an even better production in year two. But what I really like about this is... You know, the opportunity, and we'll talk about it with Coach Fredenberg later, but the opportunity for there to be some things in conjunction with the Pro Football Hall of Fame that's right there, literally right there. And I think that's cool that the, you know, obviously the student-athletes are really going to enjoy that association.
0: I think so. And part of the part of the game experience is the student-athlete experience and some of the things that they get to do around the game. In the past in Salem, you've had team banquets, you've had, um, you know, awards, awards ceremonies, and those kinds of things. Uh, Other events that that Salem used to put on a little bit of that in Shenandoah. They didn't boost a lot of the student athlete experience stuff down there, but Canton obviously we're playing at hall of fame stadium right next to the pro football hall of fame. Um, Certainly going to take advantage of that and provide a great experience for student athletes that are, that are going to be there this week.
1: If you were watching the Whitewater-Mary Harden-Baylor game and you heard the color analyst on that game term it as a high school stadium, that is someone who has not been there, clearly, since it's been renovated over the course of the past several years. I think that even a Texas high school person would be impressed by that stadium. So we are you know, looking at a brand new matchup here in the Stag Bowl, right? We have had North Central has been there, Mary Harden-Baylor has been there some unknown number of times. Now they are going to face each other, right? It's like the, uh, you know, I don't, the tide continues to turn. Tide turns slowly in Division Three football, but continues to turn just a little bit because now we are, for the first time since 1994 and 95,
0: we're going to have two consecutive stag bowls that do not have Mount Union in them. That's right. And, you know, we're for a long time, we've sort of been used to seeing those purple powers, Mount Union, Whitewater, Mary Hart and Baylor in the final four, and then sort of a rotating crop of. Fourth teams that join them in the semis. It's been Wesley, it's been St. Thomas, Brockport, Hopkins, Muhlenberg. They've all taken a trip into the semifinals. This year, you know, Mount Union really kind of felt like that fourth team that would have been the most surprising of the semifinalists to advance. But not only do we have two consecutive Stag Bowls now without Mount Union, but this is going to be the third non Mount Union champion in a row the first time that's happened since the Whitewater three-peat, what was that, Nine, ten, and 11. And in 2022, Mount Union is going to field a team with a roster full of players that hasn't won a championship. Uh, That's the first time that's happened since 2012. Uh, Mount Union did win the championship that year, by the way. But it does sort of look and feel, though, that while Mount Union is still among the best of the best in the division, They've been caught by North Central and UMHB and Whitewater, and they aren't they aren't necessarily the championship favorites when we enter a new season anymore. They're, you know, Mount Union's got to sort of earn that back now.
1: You know, Mount Union has been number four in our poll since week three this season, and they may well end up there, kind of depending, I, I assume, on how things go. It will be interesting, right? I mean, you know, you know, now that we are two coaches removed from Larry Karis. Obviously, you know, literally that coaching job is still in the family and that sort of thing. But, you know, now they are going to have the cliche guy who sat next to me to write headlines at my old newspaper job would say they have something to prove. And that is exactly uh, that's exactly the, the cliche that one
0: would put out there. They do have something to prove. And, you know, they it's next season, I think, is going to be really important for for Mount Union. And the trajectory of that program because uh as as we will talk about when we get into some game recap they they were really kind of outclassed on on saturday they got they got bullied around pretty good by a bigger more physical north central team
1: we'd like to thank the people who have done so much to help us have podcasts, have D3Sports.com, D3 Football, D3 Hoops, D3 Baseball here over the course of the past 18 months or so, especially over the past 12 months with our Patreon subscribers. Patreon is the service that, uh, that we're using and that a bunch of other content creators are using to help them find a steady stream of financial support. So there are a bunch of people who Donate anywhere from $3 a month to upwards of, you know, $50 a month is still a thing. People do, and we're very thankful for that because it helps us, you know, do a lot of things. It's helped us get new content this year. It's helped us have more assistance getting the scoreboard updated and that sort of thing. And I, we've, if you've listened to this podcast over the course of the past uh, 13 weeks, we've said those things a lot. But they are very important to us, and those people have helped made that happen.
0: We have said those things a lot and it's worth repeating every single week because it is that important. Without our Patreon subscribers and the support that we get, we wouldn't be able to do things like get all of our people to Canton this week to bring you all of that coverage live on game day, all of the coverage that we're going to get uh, throughout the week during media interviews with the teams and all of the preparation that goes into putting on uh, our Stag Bowl broadcast and our pregame and all of the preview and recap things that we're going to do this week a lot of that is made possible by our patreon subscribers
1: that includes the podcast which we will be recording after the game that will be podcast number 300 i have not
0: planned to pack the tux but maybe i should be is is it like a streamer's situation confetti i don't know who's i don't know who's got to clean up the booth
1: (laughs) right if we do that we may not be invited back But thank you to our subscribers at Patreon, patreon.com slash d3sports. Or if you want to make a one-time donation to help continue the site, you can go to d3sports.com slash help.
2: Game ball. Game ball.
0: Game balls. Game balls.
2: Game balls.
1: It's time for game balls, and my game ball goes to... I mean, who else? I have to give this game ball to Ethan Greenfield, the running back for North Central. This guy is ending his junior season on just a tremendous roll with 186, 198, 143, and 190 yards in the past four games. You can't control the clock the way that North Central did. If you can't keep the clock moving and move the chains, especially on the ground, and Greenfield is just relentless right now. Also, he's a guy who should be pretty fresh coming into the stag bowl as he has only had 30 carries twice all season. Those are two of the past three games, and Jeff Thorne is going to talk about him a little bit more a little bit later, but for right
0: now, just suffice it to say, he gets my game ball. And I'm going to go ahead and give my game ball to another guy that Jeff Thorne is going to talk a little bit more about, first-year kicker Tanner Rains. Raines did miss his first extra point of the day, but he made up for that miss with a pair of really important field goals. Rains was rushed onto the field at the end of the first half and converted on his second attempt a 42-yard field goal into a nasty wind to give North Central a nine-point lead at the intermission. Reigns then converted a 31-yard field goal into what looked like a stronger wind in the fourth quarter to push North Central's advantage out to 19 points. Reigns also dropped in three punts with a 39-yard average. North Central won the special teams phase in this game thanks to the leg of Tanner Reigns, and for that, he'll get my game ball.
1: I can't decide if this has got to be a blame it on the rains. Have you ever seen the rains? When it rains, it pours. Every time it rains, it rains field goals from 40 yards out. That's one game worth of game balls. Do you have another? Game ball. I mean, it's
0: the semifinal round. Why not? Game
2: ball Game balls. Game balls.
0: Why not double up the game balls? Game balls. My second game ball is going to go to Mary Harden Baylor wide receiver, Brandon Jordan. Jordan recorded season highs with 11 receptions and 164 yards in the Cruz 24 to seven win over Wisconsin. Whitewater Jordan also caught two touchdown passes to bring his season total up to 16 Jordan's combination of size, speed and hands proved to be too much for whitewater to match up with the national semifinal is a perfect time to have your biggest game of the season. Jordan did just that and earns my second game ball this week.
1: Well, we can't go four game balls and not give a single one to a defensive player.
0: My second game ball is going to go to Mary
1: Harden Baylor cornerback Keith Gibson. I kind of want to give it to another player, but I'm not entirely certain that player should have been allowed to play the whole game. Something else we'll talk about more in a little bit. Gibson's day, however, included a number of third-down stops that were short of the first-down marker, either forcing punts or fourth-down conversion attempts. And, of course, it also included the forced fumble on a ball. Tyler Holte took over the middle near midfield with 9.28 left in the game in that uh, 24-7 win against UW-Whitewater. So with nine tackles and a pass breakup, the forced fumble, Keith Gibson gets a game ball. <laughs> now with the d3football.com around the nation podcast we're joined by Jeff Thorne the head coach of North Central headed back to the stag bowl next friday headed back to ohio his team victorious on saturday at mountain union by the score of 26 to 13 first of all coach uh, congratulations and i appreciate you joining us for 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 a full disclosure jeff is joining us from like a rest stop on the way back to illinois you guys go in today, down three offensive linemen, I, my understanding, probably because of COVID protocols, and yet you guys still won that battle at the line of scrimmage, pretty much going away uh, for all 38 minutes that you had the football.
3: Yeah, we were, we were down two, not three. We, we were down two offensive linemen, and then Ben Wong, uh, you know, our, our senior captain linebacker, was, wasn't able, was not able to go today, uh, but just two offensive linemen, our right guard, right
1: tackle. I gotcha. As as I was looking at the, I was watching guys out there and I saw, I didn't know if I saw Zach Fortier either, so I wasn't sure about left tackle, I guess.
3: Yeah, no, uh, Fortier was there. Yeah, he played. Okay. 67.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about, you know, what that's like. Obviously, now you are, you've gone to Mount Union and, and done this twice, obviously, but winning the battle at the line of scrimmage has never been particularly easy to do against the guys in purple.
3: Yeah, I mean, our guys just played with a lot of resolve. Um, They're, they're, you know, very mission focused on what we're trying to get done. These fifth year seniors have put so much into this, uh, as have the fourth year guys, you know. Just a lot of veteran leadership on our team and, you know, the guys that stepped in at right guard and right tackle, uh, both seniors. Um, So, you know, we had guys that have been in the program for a long time and and Will Ebert started at right tackle who started you know, for three years for us before uh, this year. And he played really, really well, as did Derek Murphy. They did a great job.
1: Mount Union comes down and they score first. Um, And if, if, you know, if people looking at that thought that it might be a long day for you guys, probably only had to go back and look at the uh, little brass bell game, right? Because it seemed not too dissimilar to what Wheaton did to you guys. And then you kind of did to Mount Union for most of the next three quarters, exactly what you did to Wheaton in terms of keeping them off the scoreboard.
3: Yeah, the defense played fantastic again today. Coach Durking and Coach Janicek and our defensive staff, just, they put a great plan together. You know, like you said, Wheaton College scored right away on us. And and just go back two years ago, Mount Union scored immediately on us. Um, So we've been there before. It just wasn't anything that really phased our guys. And we knew we just had to put a good drive together coming back. It was a shame we missed the extra point. But, uh, you know, I told Tanner right away, I said, hey, shake that off. We're going to need you later. And lo and behold, he ends up kicking two mammoth field goals into, I mean, that was dead into the wind and, and a little bit of a crosswind too. Uh really clutch kicks from a freshman.
1: Yeah, that's super impressive, right? I mean, you send him out there. I mean, I don't know if you intended to send him out there last minute, but obviously you guys showed keeping the offense on the field and then ran the kicking unit out there. And then he misses the one, but it's, it's a, uh, you know, called off by a penalty. And then not only does he nail the next one, but he does the exact same thing a little bit later in the game from a little bit closer, but right into the same goalpost.
3: Yeah. You know, we actually did, we had an offensive play call and I just didn't like, they had called timeout. Um, and, and I kind of had a feeling they might throw a a prevent type of coverage out there. So we, we went with our, with our play call, and once once I saw how they had lined up, I just thought this this has no prayer. So let's uh, let's run the field goal unit out there. And like I said, I mean he just he, extremely clutch kick.
1: What do you think after the first one after the first one, which was called off that went wide left?
3: <laughs> well, I hope he kicks the next one better than that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just really good job. He, he's a real laid back kid. Um, nothing rattled him. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was nice to see him put that thing through.
1: Tell us a little bit about Lane's performance. Obviously, we got to see him run a little bit, uh, but then I think maybe we also got to see him, uh, you know, hit pretty hard on that uh, on that second touchdown. So how is he doing coming out of that?
3: He's, he's okay. I mean, he's he's banged up like uh, any quarterback is after taking some of the shots that he took today. But he'll be okay. He'll be ready to go on Friday. Uh, just a gutty performance from him. We needed every ounce of it. Yeah, we did. I thought he threw the ball quite honestly. I thought he threw the ball really well, too. We just, the weather was such, and, and we were having so much success on the ground and, and keeping Mount Union's offense off the field that he just didn't really have to throw it all that many times. But he was efficient when he did. Um, the one mistake, but, but quite honestly, I, I wish I had that call back. And, and Coach Spencer and I talked about it, and we both agreed, man, it probably wasn't the right time for that. And um, he bounced back great after that as well.
1: We're talking about the throw downfield into double coverage that got picked off?
3: Yeah, we just wish we could put that one back in our pocket and and just put it on the ground again. Um, we were in a really good spot. It was second and two in plus territory. Um, you know, but those things happen. And again, I mean, Luke came off the field and say, "Bud, we're okay. Shake it off. Just bounce back, you know, and and he did, did a great job.
1: How is Kaminsky handling, like having a lesser role this year, right? I mean, obviously the super, um, you know, the run game is working super well for you guys. Good to be focused on that, especially in December. Um, but, you know, obviously he's not getting nearly the touches that he would have gotten in 2019.
3: You, you'd never know it, Pat, that's, and that's the beauty of, of Andrew. He's he's the most unselfish player. Uh, he's a team guy through and through. You know, he's coming off the field and telling me, Coach, hey, they're bracketing me, they're rolling coverage. I mean, this is all season long. And mm-hmm. he's like, look, if, if if I run through coverage, I'm going to take two guys out, and that's going to open up the zones. You know, the underneath zones for D'Angelo or Blake or whoever it might be. It's just what he does. He, he's, he wants to win. And it doesn't matter if he's got ten touches or five or one like he did today. I mean, they they were rolling coverage. They were bracketing him. And, and you know, when when you've got a receiver of that you know magnitude, somebody that is that talented, the defenses have to adjust to it, and that helps the run game. Yeah. You know, so it really his mere presence is helping our
1: running game. I'm going to ask you one more thing about passing before we talk sure. about uh, before we talk about Ethan Greenfield's day. Um, but I thought D'Angelo Hardy made a couple of amazing catches. I think a really important one, too. You guys are backed up in, you know, he's, uh, Lane is passing out of his own end zone on third down, and he makes a pretty incredible catch.
3: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that one. I was talking to one of our coaches, and I, I think that may have been as important, if not the most important play of the game, because you're right, it's third and long. And I think the ball was inside our five-yard line Yeah, into, you know, whatever the wind was. It had to be 25, 30 miles an hour. Um, and if we have to punt right there, the punts were going 30 yards at that point. Maybe. And that, the ball came out, and it, it floated a little bit, and, and he went up with one hand and, and brought it down. It was an incredibly athletic play, and and he said it was an enormous play in the game.
1: Right, so Greenfield a tremendous day, over 190 yards on the ground. I mean, you know, from the after the first couple of plays, you know, the first two handoffs on the first drive of the game. I don't remember when the next time was that he was that he was stopped short. I mean, it was a really impressive afternoon for him.
3: He's just really hard to tackle. Extraordinary lower body strength, um, incredible balance and vision, which just makes him a load to, to take to the ground. And uh, it, 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 he's he's grown into a running back that the more carries he gets, the better he gets. Um, you know, early in his career, he wasn't getting these this many touches. It was last year's playoff run, and really kind of the stretch run of last or last year. I mean, tough, sure, where he really started to carry a bigger load of twenty plus carries a game. And you know, here in the playoffs this year, I think he's had high twenties or thirty more than once. Um, he's just tough and. Like I said, he just he seems to get better as the game wears on, and the more carries he gets. I think
1: it was—I think it was really impressive too. How I guess both the run game and really your defense forcing a, a number of three and outs uh, really helped balance the time of possession heavily in your favor too. I mean, kept the Mount Union offense off the field for quite a long time, especially in the first half.
3: Yeah, I, I never really seemed to realize that when the game's going on. But one of the coaches mentioned to me after the game, kind of slid the uh, stat sheet over to me before the, the post-game interview, and it said 38, 38 minutes of possession time. And that's enormous, and, and I think that's that's complimentary football. It's not just the offense grinding out first downs, it's your defense getting three and outs to, to allow the offense to get back out there. So it really was uh, a great complimentary day, and then our special teams, I thought, played very well. So it was all three phases, outside of the missed extra point, um, but just really, really happy with how the guys played.
1: How much... Of a factor, or how much emphasis did you put on, I'm going to call it a snub, you can call it whatever you like, or you can just let me, you you can rest on how we're describing it uh, for, uh, you know, you guys having to play on the road in this game.
3: Honestly, Pat, if you went back to the the podcast from early in the season, you might think a lot, but we really didn't talk about it all that much. We, we put it to bed after the very first day and just said, hey, you know, we're all surprised. We thought we were going to be home or not, but man, what a great opportunity to go out to uh, Alliance again, we've had success there before. Uh, it's a great way for us to go and really prove our mettle. Uh, but also, you know, we talked about being on the road, and sometimes when you're at home, there's some there's more distractions than when you're on the road. Because mm-hmm. on the road, we're on a bus together. We get off the bus, we go to the hotel, we eat, we watch a little film, we meet, we go to sleep, we get up, and we play football. So there's very few uh, distractions when we're on the road, and, and we kind of we kind of rallied around that
1: you've got a short week and you prepare for Mary Harden Baylor. I'm not going to assume that you've seen a lot of Mary Harden Baylor film between, you know, that game ending an hour ago and us having this conversation, but I want to ask, right. right. But I do want to ask, you know, is it different? You guys, uh, taking a bus trip. Does that give you more time to prepare? Does it change, you know, how this week goes compared to last time when you guys went to the stag bowl and you were getting on a plane?
3: Yeah, I don't know. You know, this is just to be in our second time. I don't know how, how different it'll be. Um, now what's nice is we have we're familiar with the surroundings where we'll be going. Um, haven't been there in '19 and and just less than a week ago when we go back out. I don't know when the NCAA is going to want us to head back out there. It'll be a quick turnaround if it's Tuesday again, like like it was last year. She's I keep saying that '2019. Um, but you know it's exciting to play a, a new team, and I've got great respect for Mary Hart Baylor and uh, and their program. They, they've been. You know the third purple power here over the last 20 years, so mm-hmm. it's, it's really kind of neat that we're getting an opportunity to play uh, play them this time. We're excited about it.
1: Meanwhile, if you guys are really focused on being the new machine, you have just done exactly what the machine does, right? You have you have not just shown up in the semifinals; you've shown up and won, and you're going back to the Stag Bowl for a second year in a row.
3: Well, Pat, you could say that a few more times because that's exciting to hear. It's fun now. It's, it's been uh, it's been a great run with this group. These seniors are amazing people. You've heard me say it before, and, and I just, there's not enough superlatives in my vocabulary anyway to, to properly describe what they've meant to our program, what they mean to me, and just I'm thrilled I get one more week
0: with them. Some classic coach talk there, right? Playing on the road is actually better. Um, you know, I didn't get the sense, though, in this game that North Central played with extra emotion because of the site selection situation. They were controlled and really in control the entire time. And I think that's something that comes with winning 24 games in a row, beating the quality of teams that they've beaten in that stretch. And of course, having gone to Alliance in 2019 and winning, you know, whatever aura exists when teams travel to Mount Union just doesn't seem to impact North Central anymore. They've, they've broken that spell. And I, I think it showed through their poise on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with you. I actually do think though it's not just coach speak about playing on the road. There a lot of those things are actually true, right? Uh, if you're if you're playing a home game, maybe this is not the same for an NCA game. But for example, you know you're trying to figure out who are the people as a player that you're going to have on your pass list, right? That sort of thing. Who's coming to the game on your behalf, et cetera, et cetera. You can literally just kind of lift those 58 student athletes out and take them on the road and kind of bubble now has a different connotation than it used to, but that's what really what the, uh, the older version of this is what we're talking about, right? You, you do get a chance to kind of isolate them from everyone else. You get a chance to really, how many times have we heard, you know, that the, the uh, we've heard the term business trip applied to a situation like this. I really do think there's, there's something to that. And in a case where, The travel isn't necessarily overly burdensome. You know, a six-hour bus ride in reasonable weather seems like a not particularly bad thing to have to do in the
0: semifinal round. I actually agree here. Oh, yeah, I think there are pros and cons to both home games and road games. And if you're you're the coach, your job is to have your guys ready to play no matter what the situation is, and you're going to steer into the pros of those situations, you're not going to spend any time worrying about the cons. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, that's coaching one-on-one. You just focus on, on the good stuff, the positive stuff, the stuff that keeps your team motivated. And, you know, if he didn't feel like he needed to steer into the the snub thing to, to have his players focused to go win against Mount Union and play well against Mount Union, um, no need. And it's clear, I mean, 24 wins in a row. It's hard to say that Jeff Thorne doesn't know how to have his, have his team focused and ready to play.
1: I'm going to bring back up to you something that you said in our uh, team Slack channel on Saturday, which is uh, about Matt Robinson's touchdown. And I'm, I'm obviously not going to be able to directly quote you, but the general gist of it was when
0: guys who you haven't heard of are scoring in semifinal games, that's usually a good sign. Andrew Kaminsky had one catch in the game. That's a Gallardi finalist getting, ha- getting his hands on the ball one time in a semifinal game. That's a guy that you would expect to have to have a really big impact in the game and He's a decoy for most of the game. And when you have a team with the depth North Central has, and this is common among all of the teams that get this deep into the tournament, you don't have one guy that you lean on to win. You need to have multiple guys and guys that can step up when your number one option gets taken away. And that happened. Kaminsky goes out Robinson scores wide open. They totally forget about him. Hardy had a great game. I say great game. He didn't have a ton of catches North central didn't throw the ball a ton. They didn't have to, but you know, Luke Landon made the plays that, that he needed to make on when it was his turn to throw the ball. He made, he made some nice throws that now that throw to Robinson was kind of a gyro ball out there. And you know, I mean, you don't need to throw a tight spiral when there's not a black shirt within 15 yards of your receiver, but uh, his touchdown pass to Hardy was, was a, was a, was a heater with uh a tight window there that was a really good throw so you know Lennon all season long especially in these games against top opponents they're not asking him to do a ton but when when it is time for him to do something he he makes the play more often than not
1: and we got to see him run the ball and people got to see him run the ball in multiple different ways I know we're going to talk more about the offensive line this week but just again if we put all of these factors together right if you were to say that North central was going to be missing the entire right side of its uh, starting offensive line. And, you know, and Kaminsky was going to catch one pass. You would have thought that uh, North central was going to get its doors blown off. And that obviously is not what happened.
0: I mean, yeah, you just don't expect teams to have that level of depth. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that North central had multiple starting offensive linemen out of the game based on the way that they were able to run the ball. And it wasn't, now Greenfield had some special runs in there. There was some really, really special individual efforts on his part, but he's five yards up field before he has to make somebody miss over and over and over again. North Central's doing that with two substitutes starting on their offensive line this game. So we we've talked about it. we've had we heard Jeff Thorne early in the season talk about wanting to be the machine, and that's that's part of the deal is you have to have not just a good starting 22, but it's the next 22 also that have to be A-level. You know, your you're two deep is sort of a 1A and 1B deep.
1: Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Pete Fredenberg, the head coach at Mary Harden Baylor. His team... Well, I mean, other people may count this differently, but we're going to count uh, four trips to the Stag Bowl in five seasons. So congratulations on that. Congratulations on getting back to the Stag Bowl.
2: Thank you, Pat. We are extremely excited and meet a a, a great football team in Whitewater. And obviously, that's a big thrill for us. Uh, We're in the process now of moving forward and trying to uh, develop plans for North Central. But we're excited to be uh, go into the stagmo.
1: What was different about this trip for you guys to UW Whitewater? I mean, other than coming away with the win, right? Uh, but you guys have had some great battles, but have not come out on the victorious end when you guys go up to Wisconsin.
2: Well, and that was that was the big difference is that we won. But the they always have a great size, and they're so well coached, and they play extremely hard. Uh, we were very fortunate. I think our offense uh, played extremely well. Uh, our defense played uh, equally as well. Uh, we just—it was a great team win. I think this team has has set its goal to go to the national championship, and uh, they are they are living up to it, and uh, and doing all, everything to uh, get to this point and uh, continue to move forward.
1: I think when people talk about your offense, especially over the course of the past couple of weeks, I think sometimes people are uh, like our description of it, it is scary. And then in words that we can't say or print what you guys have done, just throwing the ball over the course of the past couple weeks. And what we were wondering about this was, you know, is this like potential matchups you guys were seeing in the secondary or in the passing game on the opposite side, or was it also maybe balanced by the fact that Linfield and Whitewater are also really good against the run game?
2: Well, they're, they're you know, and again, kind of what our offense does is we we try to, say that we are going to do what the defense allows us, what they give us. So if they uh, stack the box and uh, to stop the run, we're going to try to throw it um, and vice versa. Uh, If they're out covering our guys, so we'll try to establish a run. I I think uh, Steve Lee is our offensive coordinator and his staff have done a fantastic job utilizing the athletes and the abilities that we have.
1: We talk about athletes. You, we can't not talk about uh, Brandon Jordan. You know, we wrote about him back in September and we've seen him have some good games over, you know, the course of the week since then, but just amazing over the course of the past couple weeks, especially on Saturday. Tell us a little bit about, you know, him as a person and maybe what it's like to have that weapon out there for you guys to use.
2: Well, you know, he's been an incredible uh, uh, person to, to to obviously to come in. Uh, he was um, um, wasn't quite sure how to handle the, the things that we do as a football team and the uh, expectations that uh, our guys have on each other. Uh, He is molded into really a great team player and a team leader. Um, He is a a big uh, receiver, obviously, uh, but the thing that is uh, incredible about him is his eye-hand coordination and the things that he can do uh, catching the ball, obviously with his size, And Kyle does a great job of throwing to the window of opportunity that he presents and uh, with his size. And then he does a great job of uh, holding position and making uh, great plays uh, with just some athleticism.
1: I know this is not quite uh, Brandon's story, but I think it's pretty close, so I want to just talk about it a little bit. Like, we talk about this in basketball especially all the time. Transfer comes in from the D1 level and expects to just dominate at D3 because, you know, reasons, right? But, you know, they find often, almost all the time, that they're not able to do so. They have to put in the hard work. They have to take it seriously. And that last part is the thing that I'm kind of comparing to Brandon Jordan, obviously. Does that seem, does that seem fair?
2: No, I agree with that. That's really well said, and I think that he uh, he's gone from uh, uh, kind of all about Brandon to really all about the, the 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 Crusaders. I mean, he's a a team player and has molded into uh, one of our uh, really uh, obviously cares about this team very deeply, and uh, is going to do whatever he can to help it be successful.
1: You mentioned the defense equally on par with the offensive performance, especially on uh, Saturday against Whitewater. Tell us a little bit about how, you know, how defense is going, what you guys are doing, what you guys did, for example, against Alex Pete to kind of take that part of the game away.
2: Yeah. You know, it started, I actually started in 19 when uh, Whitewater beat us uh, so badly. And uh, we felt like that we had to uh, tweak our defense somewhat. And, Uh, get closer to the football, they were able to run the ball and uh, Alex Pete and uh, the others that were uh, had a field day. I think that they made uh, 13 second down or third down in twos or less. Uh, So we Larry Harmon, our our defensive coordinator and his staff set out a goal to try to keep them um, away from that to where uh, we didn't have to engage uh, third down and short. Uh, so, the obviously, first and second downs were critical for us. Um, and I think they did a great job of doing that. And, uh, you know, obviously, we felt like Alex Pete was a, a great running back, and they do a good job of blocking and uh, giving him opportunities to. And then he does a wonderful job of finding little seams. Uh, so uh, we were we were thrilled with the
1: performance of our defense. And then to talk about special teams, obviously you know having a, a weapon back there in terms of the return game, uh, in terms of KJ Miller, really I think took uh, Whitewater out of some of the things they wanted to do. I think they really wanted to have that option to have uh, Max Myler, their quarterback, take that step back and do the little pooch kick, pooch punt thing, and having a legit. All-American receiver or returner back there took them away from that. So I'm going to talk about the positives about special teams and then we'll come back to kicking game in the next question.
2: Yeah, we have, uh, you know, Jefferson Fritz obviously is an incredible football player, but KJ Miller is is uh, one, The both of them are the uh, premier athletes. And uh, so t- taking that away with uh, being able to get uh, uh, Jefferson back to where he could receive the punt. And then you've got your offensive line trying to cover the field it can create a real issue for a punt team that's trying to just pooch the ball. Um, and and then, you know, with the the two guys, uh, uh, KJ and, and Fritz, and then we also have Aaron Sims. They're very capable punt returners and kick returners. So uh, we, we feel like that our our ability to make that into a big play is certainly something that everybody has to take in
1: stock and then about the kicking game right we've heard you talk about maybe left hash kicker versus right hash kicker and it seems like you know things are not going as well as um you know as they have in the past how, how does that, that that seems like it's a it's an unusual area of uncertainty for you guys
2: it really is And anthony we uh, avila has been our kicker and uh he does a, a fantastic job but for some reason and every once in a while he just uh uh, lose his concentration or overthinks. So I don't know exactly what his uh, issue is. Uh, we have a, a, a kicking coach that works with him, Randy Smith, and we certainly hope that we can get him. He's got a very strong leg. He's usually very accurate. Uh, we just got to get him to where he um, settles in and takes a nice swing uh, and, and stays comfortable with that uh, job at hand. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a disappointment that he uh, uh, misses those, but we're it's a it's a process um, and and a, a work in progress right
1: now. You guys are one of the programs that played in the spring. You played the full, basically the full five game schedule that uh, teams teams considered five games to be a full season in the spring is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of people were talking about. The goal of playing 20 games in 2021. You guys are now preparing for that 20th game in this calendar year. And my question is, like, how are the guys feeling? Is like anybody is that extra wear and tear? Anybody coming back at this point? How is how is that reflecting people?
2: You know, it was so remarkable for us because uh, you know, in the fall, uh, we were able to have uh, a, a spring training, and and our guys got our, our freshman guys. Uh, got a lot better and then uh, then the season uh, and the five games that we played were very competitive and obviously we were excited to win all five of those games. Uh, I think it just uh, helped uh, start us on this journey. Um, Our our guys that came back um, that uh, the COVID year gave them. um, are doing a great job, and they're they're leading this team in in a very strong and meaningful way. And I I just think that it was a a kind of a – it's awful to say, but a kind of blessing for us to be able to do what we did in the fall and the spring.
1: And I know that this is a short week, obviously, you guys are not unaccustomed to it. The Stag Bowl has been played like this for, you know, many years now. Um, but, you know, we're talking here at a little bit after 12 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. You were telling me that you've seen maybe about a half dozen plays of North Central so far. So what's it like just doing that prep and then having the travel and then all of this these things, all of the extra things that go along with the Stag Bowl also here in a short week?
2: Well, everything is a Everything is fast and furious. Uh, But thank God we're doing it. You know, that's the blessing of it. It's all is that, uh, you know, sure, it's a hardship, but man, what an opportunity. What a great occasion. Uh, We are thrilled to be in this and uh, we just, um, we'll we'll just get it done any way we can.
1: I have to think, I mean, obviously the kids are going to be super excited about the game, but also just to have the Pro Football Hall of Fame as part of the itinerary also has to be a big draw for these kids too.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you know we had, we had a coach here uh, uh, that coached Corky Nelson uh, was one of our coaches. And when in '04, uh, when we went to Alliance, Ohio, he has two players that he coached, uh, Mike Singletary and Earl Campbell. He coached Earl in high school, and Singletary obviously at Baylor. Uh, so I coached Singletary at Baylor too. So to being able to see them into
0: the Hall of Fame would be fun for us.
1: Those guys are okay. I've heard of those guys.
0: Yeah. So, Do you think these programs know who they have to really beat to win a championship? Coach Fredenberg is pulling out game flow stats from the 2019 Whitewater game, pulling those out like the number of second and third and shorts UWW converted against them two years ago. It sort of tells you how deep these teams are going to figure out how to beat one another. I think it's also worth noting that while these two teams have had quite a few close, tough games in the playoffs over the years, UMHB they had never beaten UWW until 2018 and now they've beaten Whitewater in 2 of the last 3 meetings. This was their first win in Whitewater on Saturday, so maybe the scale has tipped a little bit in that series as well.
1: Yeah, I think too when you have, you know, you have that whole extra year, you have that fall off. I I can imagine that, you know, there's probably a number of guys on the Mary Harden baylor staff who reviewed that 2019 playoff loss, maybe even more than one normally would dwell on a, a season ending
0: defeat. We certainly had more time to look at it. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, but if, if, if they looked at what happened in 2019 and said, we have to stop their running game in 2019, as coach Fred said, it was three guys doing it to him this year. It was primarily Alex Pete for the Warhawks holding them down to you know, limiting their first downs was important. And they did that. Alex Pete, you know, rushed for at one point, I think he was something like three yards per carry. And it was even less at the end of the game,
1: 20 carries for 43 yards, 2.1 a carry.
0: Yeah. So certainly, and he had no running room all day. They did a great job up front uh, controlling that. And what, you know, Whitewater, that's their thing, pounding the rock. But, you know, at some point that game got to be 17 to zero and they stuck with it and stuck with it. And, you know, you wonder a little bit, when was it time to change the game plan and and let Max Myler rip a little bit on the other side, UMHB, they didn't come out really early and try to establish the run. Kyle King was throwing the ball all over the place in the first half, and it took a couple of possessions to get going. But once they did, boom, 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 17, zero. And against that defense, and it's hard, really hard, Pat, to get, plus 17 back in two and a half quarters.
1: Now's the time on Sprockets when we do
0: Now's the time of the podcast where
1: we go to Twitter. Twitter is a place. Twitter is a place where you send us things that are called tweets. They are typically short messages. Often they are critical. Uh, sometimes they have questions though. And these are the qu- time that we take these questions here on this podcast. We didn't even put out the bat signal because uh, at B Hobson asked the question of the hour. Or the, I don't know, 56 minutes. For Monday's podcast, was non-targeting the right call? I don't have a horse in this race, but the ESPN commentators seem to think targeting was warranted. Do you think that player's ejection would have changed the outcome? Two different things here. Two different questions, right? Um, And they probably are separate answers. Was the non-targeting the right call? It was very strange to me, Greg, to see that play overturned based on the video that we saw. Targeting is a call that carries with it this extra connotation, right? You are out of the game for the rest of the game. It happen- if it happens in the second half, you are out for the first half of the following game. And that is a very high barrier. I'm very happy that even at the D3 level, you might take the SD card out of the camera and send it in with the officials at halftime so they could go review that play and reinstate a kid for the second half. Um, and here we had, obviously, you know, better cameras, better angles, that sort of thing. I am surprised, however, that at this particular juncture, that particular one was overturned. That's not my understanding of the rule, based on what I saw in the replay.
0: Yeah, I'm not a not a rules expert myself. I do have the the rule book, and the part of the targeting rule that seems to be most in play here is that one of the of the four indicators of targeting, um, the one that seems to be in play here is lowering the head before attacking by initiating forcible contact with the crown of the helmet. You know, it certainly looked to me like Akeem Jackson did do just that. He, the head was down. He got, I believe Max Myler was the ball carrier on that play. uh, And he did contact Myler above the shoulders with the top of the helmet. And it's a strange thing where if there were not, if this was a, your standard division three game without replay there, the targeting would have would have held, and maybe maybe they pull it back at halftime. But Akeem Jackson would have been out of the game for the remainder of the first half. Here with replay, they took a look at it, and shocked to me that they reversed that call. Shocked to the commentators who saw all of the angles of the replays that we did on TV as well. Surprising that 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 call was overturned. Really, um, it, it looked like sort of textbook target.
1: Totally agreed. But on the other hand, I don't think that him staying in the game changes the outcome of the game. I think that uh, I don't see very many ways in which UW Whitewater was going to come up with enough offense to get back in that game at that point. And, and having uh, Akeem Jackson off the field was not going to change that significantly. Obviously, right, is a key, key part, right? <laughs> a key part as middle linebacker. But nonetheless, I don't know that uh, missing one piece would have made that big a difference.
0: Yeah. And Akeem Jackson had a great game. He's, you know, he's a very, very good player for the Crusaders and that defense. But as we were talking about with North central and their depth, you don't, you don't get to this part of the season. If you don't have guys that you can plug in. And I think, um, had Akeem Jackson had to leave the game, Mary Harden Baylor is going to have another guy that can fill that spot for them. You know, it, it was, Funny. We were in the team slack when Akeem Jackson recovered the fumble in the fourth quarter. And, and I was like, of, of course, Akeem Jackson is the guy that's going to pick that ball up and run with it. Of course, he was going to be involved in a, in a big play later in the game.
1: Even if let's go, let's go. Let's talk about the other big replay question, right? Even if they correctly call that fumble that, uh, you know, Mary Harden Baylor absolutely had down on the goal line. and. Uh, even that doesn't change the outcome of the game. It's very, again, puzzling to me all the you know all the various permutations about how that one did not get overturned. But even that mistake, and seemingly calling it anyway a mistake by the replay official, doesn't change the outcome of this game.
0: No, and it's yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say that would it was seventeen to seven at that point. Um, had they ruled that a fumble, Whitewater is going to get the ball on the one yard line. They've got ninety nine yards to go against the defense that they just really haven't been able to move the ball on at all, really for most of the game, it's hard to, it's hard to say how things change in that, in that scenario, you know, down 10 versus down 17, maybe attitudes are a little bit different. Maybe you call the game a little bit differently, you know, but it did feel at that point in the game that Mary Harden Baylor was really in control. And I don't, I I don't feel that that call also impacted the final result. Um, you know, particularly as Mary Harden Baylor was able to sort of do what they wanted offensively. And if they needed to dial up some more Brandon Jordan in the fourth quarter and a little less Afonso Thomas, you know, they could have done that.
1: So we appreciate the question at B Hobson. And uh, of course, we'll take a Twitter question for pod 299. We're going to send that out, you know, sometime on Thursday evening. So keep an eye out for that. All right. So clean sweep in terms of quick hits on the one semifinal and not nearly as good on the other.
0: No, we had a split decision for the quick hits panel. All six of the panelists picked North central to beat Mount union, which of course happened. Uh, Weather helped to keep that score from getting as high as we predicted, but the panel did have an average North central margin of victory of 13 points, which is exactly where the game finished on the other half of the bracket. We all had predicted Close games between Whitewater and Mary Harden-Baylor. Five of the six panelists chose Whitewater to win. Whitewater did not win, and the game was not particularly close, uh, which is a testament, I think, to just how well Mary Harden-Baylor is playing this December, that they have sort of outperformed our panel's expectations for two weeks in a row. Uh, Ryan Tips was the lone panelist to take the crew this week to advance, and so he was the only one of us to get both semifinal games correct, and that... Pat brings us to the quick hits leaderboard through 30 games. And now at the top, Pat and Ryan tips, they are tied with 26 correct picks. Greg has 25 correct picks. Frank and Keith are tied with 24. Adam has 21 correct picks. And so Pat, it all comes down to the stag bowl. You versus Ryan tips for whatever mythical prize exists for this particular playoff pick'em game that we do in quickets.
1: I mean, you're not eliminated yet either. If you pick the opposite of what uh, Ryan and I both pick and you get it right and we get it wrong, there's a three-way tie at the
0: top. I'm not sure. I See, I don't know if you guys are going to split your picks. Um, I have a feeling that you might, which eliminates me. And it's also not fair for me to look at everybody's picks before I make mine.
1: <laughs> I mean, I also have access to do that as well, if necessary, right? There was a game in this playoff where I predicted the losing team to have an extra touchdown than I really wanted to, just because I didn't want to deal with, their responses does fake internet respect count as respect i think you take respect any way you can get it and this was around the nation podcast number 298 released on december 13th 2021 i mean greg laughs but how else can we uh what how what uh, what else could we go out on so thanks for listening and keep an eye out for our stag bowl coverage this week you can support production of this podcast and the entire d3sports.com family of websites by visiting patreon.com d3sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alumnus about the show. Heck, you could click on an ad on our website. Please don't block the ads either. That is how we get the majority of the money that really runs this thing. You can also rate and review this podcast in the various places where people do the rating and reviewing thing. You can reach us to talk more about division three football on Twitter using the D three FB hashtag. I'm at D three football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to division three sports. Did you know join the conversation by registering to post at D three boardscom You have to use a legitimate email address. Uh, literally today I opened up the list of registrations and there were three in a row from the exact same IP address. Two of them with very obvious fake email addresses and then one that seemed like maybe they had finally realized that you have to have an actual actual address. It's not going to work if you don't do that. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks in this podcast as well, and you can find those at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Jeff Thorne, thanks to Pete Fredenberg, thanks to Clark Teuscher, and thanks to Sarah Harborth, the sports information directors at the two advancing institutions. Thanks to Keith McMillan, the originator of Around the Nation, and thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas.
0: Did Fred's face unfreeze by the time you talked to
1: him? Fred definitely looked nice and warm in his office when we talked on Sunday afternoon, that's for sure. One other thing on those broadcasts that I just found amusing was the NCA sl- uh, sticker that they slapped over the coaches' headsets, right? We couldn't possibly have a brand name of a headset appear on this broadcast. It has to be a big, poorly applied, in some cases, NCA sticker.
0: Can we not get headsets sponsored by somebody?
3: I'm sorry, Pat, I just got on the wrong bus. <laughs>
1: It's okay. We can. (laughs) We can. We can edit that out. Uh, As long as you're still going to Naperville, doesn't matter.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we're we're still gonna. I got on the defensive bus. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, everybody.